Um, I want to say this. We have Pastor Glenn Berteau with us here today. And uh, I know that we had Pastor Robert Morris. Then he said, I want to preach two messages. So he did that. Then last week I was at the Savage Campus. And uh, when I heard that Pastor Glenn was coming to town to train pastors and churches, he was busy all week long doing that. I tried to get him here. I said, we need to have him here at our church. And some would say, well, you already had a guest, and then you had a guest again, and this. And I said, no, no. A part of my responsibility as lead pastor is to make sure that you're being fed and that you're being taught and you're being discipled and you're growing in the areas you need to grow in. And he is one of my mentors. He's one of the people that poured into me. He has got just a uh, God's favor on his life in bringing the message of Jesus Christ to people that need to hear it and getting us to have a greater focus on that. You're going to hear that in just a minute. But it was exactly what our church needs to hear. And I'm going to be amening him on the front row. You can be amening him from your spot, all right? And I'm cheering it on what God is doing in our church. It's a great thing. Now, as I said, he was a mentor of mine. What do I mean by that? When I was in Bible college, when I had rough edges, and trust me, I had rough edges. I shared in the earlier service. I had an anger problem in Bible college. I had anger issues. And I can remember in one game against the faculty, I fouled out. I got two technicals, and that's not good, you know. And I was so mad that I got two technicals in this basketball game that I went over to the bench, and I grabbed my chair, and I threw it out on the court like Bobby Knight, baby. And then I walked out of the school, boom, hit the doors out of the gym. And I'm studying for the ministry, you know what I mean? So, so you see the point. And uh, he needed to get that out of me, and he did. He got that. He was one of the key leaders, key men of God that got that out of me and also Pastor Darren. He mentored both of us in Bible college. You may not know this, but Pastor Darren and I were roommates in Bible college. And so he was a key guy that poured into us, that mentored us, was uh, willing to confront and say, what do you want to do for God? So it's a, it's a privilege to have him here, and you're going to enjoy what you're hearing. And I just want to tell you, they've got uh, different, he's got different things, uh, product out there that you can get, his testimony. Some of you are going to resonate with a piece of it that he's going to share today, and you're going to want to get it and uh, hear the rest. Uh, he's got the Ten Commandments of Marriage. He said, this is a marriage book made for men, short chapters and lots of pictures, okay? <laughs> so it's out there, guys, and... Uh, some of the wives may want to buy it for their husbands. I saw the title. So, uh, anyway, And then also a CD. Their church has done some great worship uh, music. So he's got product out there, and he may say more about it. But you got to know, we're bringing him in because we believe in the ministry he's bringing. It's not just because he's a friend and we owe him a favor. I owe him a huge debt of gratitude. But we're bringing him in because he's got a message to deliver. And uh, I believe it's exactly what our church needs to hear. However, the only thing I'm challenged personally is if we respond to this message, I don't know how fast we can build campuses and more services. And as a leader, I'm trying to get ahead of what the Holy Spirit's saying through this message, and you'll see. Amen. I want you guys to give a big welcome and a big hand clap from one of my mentors, a great pastor from California, Pastor Glenn Berto. Can you welcome him today? Hey, buddy. Good being here with you. Hey, how you doing? Great, 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 great being here. Is this the greatest church in Minnesota? Is this it right here that I'm in? Somehow I believe I am. I believe I'm in one of the greatest churches there is because I know who your pastor is. I know several of your pastors. And it is just a, an honor and a great joy to be here. Let me tell you a few things, and then I'm going to show you a picture of your pastors when they were in college. <laughs> they didn't know I was going to do this. This would be my last time. So, uh, 
Um, let me explain a few things to you just as an outside pastor and someone that's been around a long time and, and uh, had these two in, in college and, and seeing what God has done over a period of time. Uh, what you have here and what you are, it's very obvious to you, but I don't know if some from, somebody from the outside has described it to you. You have an apostolic church. Uh, to have an apostolic church, you have, you have to have an apostolic pastor. I would be an apostolic pastor. I have campuses. I have different churches. We have outreaches. We have everything in the world, and we have those things too. So I understand apostolic pastor. Many times a congregation doesn't understand what they have. Really, that is the New Testament, which you need to have as a leader, is really an apostolic leader that will think outside. We've got to, we have more places to conquer other than those that are in the building right here. We've got to think outside the box. In that, when you start doing that and God starts using the you, then you're going to have to loan your pastor to people. Now, I haven't talked to your pastor and wondering what he's doing or if he travels or anything like this. I just know that I'm here with you, and uh, I'm not at my church right now. And my church is fine. They're okay with it because they understand the calling on my life is not only just to deliver to them, but God has called me to take what he's put in me and what he's done in my church to help other churches and help other pastors. So you understand that it's not just my church. We're in the kingdom where, you know what, we're really kind of affecting the kingdom. So see, in the, in the area of even what your pastor is doing here, there are pastors and churches all around that need to hear this concept. They need to learn how to do this, and pastors have to go ahead and catch this vision. Well, their pastor's not able to relay that, but he's able to relay that. So when you see him go out like this, and let me just tell you what happens at our church. There's tremendous favor that comes on our church because they're saying, we are loaning you our pastor so he can minister to you and bring to you what he has brought to us. And what happens, there's a great, great anointing that comes on our church, great favor, and even great growth. So I, I don't want anyone here, I want you to have an understanding of the calling that is here. If you had someone that, know, that was not in demand, you probably don't want to go to the church. Yeah, your pastor, we don't want him to come at all. You know, you know, that's probably not where you want to go. Thank God you have somebody that people want to hear outside this building that's in demand around the nation. You need to thank God, and we need to do that right now for our pastor, his pastor's wife, Becca, and thank God for who you have here. Amen? Amen. I see people standing up. They're standing up. Amen. The Bible speaks a lot about honor. I want you to do this. One of the things that, that maybe you don't know, 1,500 pastors leave the ministry every month. Shocking. Why do they leave? They burn out. They just burn out. Families are crazy and everything's nuts. And there's a major attack. If anybody, if the devil wants to attack this church, guess where he's going to go? He's going to go to this couple right here and he's going to go to their family. That's why you have to say, you know what, as a church, I'm going to protect them. I don't want to lose them. We don't want to lose them. I don't want another pastor of this church. This is who I want. This is who's feeding my family. Can you say amen? You know what I'm saying? So, so what I'm saying, I don't know if you have or not. I'm just helping you here, just being an outsider. That one of the things that helps me is when my church lets me know that a certain message ministered to them. Pastor, thank my kids got saved in this message two weeks ago. My marriage was restored. I just want to let you know, hey, here's a Starbucks card. Here's a little uh, a card for a restaurant and all. I just want to thank you for what you have done over the years because my life has moved to another level. Just because of some of the things you have shared, I've gotten promotions. I've gotten job raises because of that. 
You know what I'm saying? When I get that and read that encouragement like that, I tell you what, it makes me want to even give more because there's something about honor. When they honored Jesus, there were tremendous miracles and the miraculous had happened. The time where they didn't honor him, he didn't do much and there wasn't much favor on it. So I want to see you continue to be blessed. I want to see campuses explode. And in that, you're going to have to be just like, you know what, whatever God has, he's doing something. This was nothing when it started, but look what it is right now. You are part of a miracle. Do you understand that this this couple right here prayed about a church being full, prayed about seats being filled before you were ever here? Do you understand you have a pastor that has enough faith to start praying just like I did? I'd see empty seats in this large building I have, but I was seeing the balcony full. I was seeing multiple services before they were ever here. You are not here because you stumbled in because the location is good. You are here because you had someone interceding and praying. There are people in this community that need a word from God that's going to touch their life and touch their families, and I believe they're going to come to this church, be fed, grow up, and touch a city. Do you hear what I'm saying today? Amen. Now, now I don't know. I am, I, okay, you can, I'm not from Minnesota, you can tell. <laughs> and that's okay. I'm not from California either, you can tell by my accent. Can you tell it's not a, would anybody like to guess where, if you don't know, if you know where I'm from, don't say, but what accent this is? What is it? Texas. Texas. No, Texas would be a little, no more country. Texas, they talk like this, you're going to take a shower in Texas. Huh? North Carolina, no, it's not North Carolina. So. Arkansas. Arkansas, no, that's a little hicky. They're real hick talking in <laughs> Arkansas. They talk like that comedian there that, you know. Okay, look, look, well, okay, I'm running out of time. You just don't know. Why don't I just tell you? <laughs> I'm from Louisiana. I'm from down south Louisiana. Who wins? Okay, I'm done. <laughs> like I told you. Uh, I'm, from, I'm from deep south. I'm not, I'm not talking about north Louisiana. I'm talking about New Orleans, Baton Rouge. I mean, when Katrina hit, it destroyed all my uncles and aunts' houses and stuff like that. So I'm from way down south, you know, like swamp people. You, know, you ever seen swamp people? I mean, I grew up eating alligator, had Tabasco sauce in my bottle and stuff. I mean, it was like, this is swamp folks down there, you know, where they don't know how to talk and they've got to put the, the you know, they've got to type in what they're saying underneath. Because they don't, you can't understand the Cajun. Cajun people, they don't, they don't talk English. You, you go down there to the road, you go to Lafouche there, and you go to Lafouche there, and you take a left and go by the tree three to five miles maybe, and then you take a ride down and go to that house and have a GPT. He said, God bless you, I think, you know. <laughs> so let, 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 me show you, let me show you a picture of uh, Pastor Darren. Here's, the, here's your Pastor Darren in college. Here he is right here. There he is. Whoa. He's got that wolfman hairdo right there, huh? That thing's just bubbled up there. Now, now your senior pastor was kind of, ha- he was a lot cooler in a sense as his look. He was kind of like a like American graffiti, like a American uh, like like glee. He he had this kind of. Uh, here's your pastor right here in college. Look at that thing right there. Doesn't he kind of have that look like you want my phone number? Look, I, you know it's like it kind of makes you wonder, doesn't it? How could that man have such an anger problem with that smile? 
I know, you must have been praying for me, okay? <laughs> so there they are. The, um, before, we, yeah, before we get started here, the, in, in, in Louisiana, raised in Louisiana, I was, anybody raised Catholic, brought up Catholic? How many brought up Catholic? Yeah, yeah, I, I, was, I, I was, everybody in South Louisiana is Catholic. I don't know if you know that. Everybody's brought up, you have to go to Catholic church in Louisiana. And us Catholics, if you don't know, we don't have Bibles. We have rosaries, we have that. And uh, this is the way kind of, we are brought up, and so I was in Catholic school when I was a little kid, didn't understand, but going to Catholic church. My, no, my parents didn't go, but everybody's Catholic. And they would even have bumper stickers that, that would say, honestly, bumper stickers in Louisiana that would say, if you can't find Jesus, look for his mother. His mother was Mary, if you don't know. It was, it's what it was saying. And, and uh, so everybody was, you know, and in South Louisiana, and some of you, you know, that are younger today, you don't remember how some of us were raised back in the day, because some of us were, I mean, in Louisiana, you would have uh, little signs that said spanking or non-spanking. I mean, it, you spanked back in those days, and it was, it was uh, I don't know, how many grew up with people, parents that spanked you and all this stuff? Yeah, well, Paul, <laughs> yeah, my dad would be on America's Most Wanted today, the way he, the way he treated us. I didn't even know a belt was a piece of clothing until I was 16 years old. <laughs> pow, pow. I thought, I thought it was a weapon. My dad didn't. You know, he's, my dad's one of those that grew up in the sticks. You know, anybody know what I mean, the sticks? I mean, I'm talking about out a town, the sticks, out where nobody lives and it's not even on the map and it's a dirt road. You know what I'm saying? That kind of thing and there's no lights. He lived out. He lived so far out, he'd have to go toward town to go hunting. The animals lived closer to the city than he did. So I was raised in South Louisiana. Now, South Louisiana is a very much a party place. It's Mardi Gras. I, I grew up as a kid growing up Mardi Gras and, and seeing that and, and um, seeing people get drunk and party. I mean, that's what it was like. It was a party, party atmosphere there. And you know what? No one in my family has ever been saved. So I'm the person um, that could be some of you here that's never, that you had, no one in your family has ever been saved. No one in my family had ever been a Christian. No one in my family was ever really in a church and really had a Bible. I don't know if I ever, I never saw a Bible until I was saved. I'm 21 years of age, I get my first Bible. I see a Bible. Never saw a Bible, never saw anything at all, and I just saw a party, I just saw this, and this is the way I grew up. So what I'm telling you is that this is nice that we're here. But you know, in my mind here, the devil still has the biggest church in town. It doesn't matter how big we get. The devil has more people doing his stuff than what we're doing right here today in this church. And so I'm saying there still is a big job for us, wouldn't you say? There's a big job for us to go out and to reach people and to reach lives. Robert Morris came in, I understand, here recently, and he preached his life message, the blessing. He talked about really was something that God has really spoken to him, is so real to him, and it's a message. I'm going to give you one of my life messages. I'm going to tell you today, not something I've come just to preach something to you. I've come to impart something to you, and I've come to elevate something. I've come to grab your hand and agree with you on something that's going to be probably the most precious thing and the most important thing that you can hear. Underneath your, your, your uh, uh, chairs there, there's a red sheet of paper. Would you grab that, a red sheet of paper? Get that? You can see this right here. Get this. What I want you to do, how many of you here uh, would lift your hands and say, you know, Pastor Glenn, I have uh, unsaved family members and unsaved friends, real good friends that I know. You have unsaved, they're not saved. Raise your hand real high. You know somebody? What I want you to do is start writing the names down. We're going to do something with this at the end because I'm going to stand with you. Listen, church, I didn't come just to do anything else other than I'm going to stand with you and we're going to believe and we're going to resurrect hope they're going to get saved. Can everybody say amen to that? We're going to believe. If you, yes, ma'am, you want to talk? Uh, first and last name? 
You can, and, and even, even nicknames, if you want to do a nickname. <laughs> yeah, put anything. Just write their names down. Write whatever you want down. Write as many names as you want. You know somebody. Listen, if you don't believe they can get saved, just don't write them. But if you believe that God is able to touch their lives, everybody here get this and start writing. And you know what? Write the whole time that I'm talking. If you think of another name, just jot it down. I have had people write 200 names. Amazing during the service. I wanted to hear or heard anything I said. But 200 names. 65 names, 20 names, or whatever. Write as many down as you want. I was in, um, and as you're doing that, we'll, 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 we'll share with you in a minute here. I was um, in Louisiana. There were two things I did. I played the guitar in the seventh grade. I uh, started playing because that's when the, the Beatles started coming over. That's when, and then when Jimi Hendrix came out, and uh, man, I, I just got into the Jimi Hendrix record. I even bought a pro. Here's a white guy with a fro. I had a fro because I loved the way the hair would just wave to you when you played. And I bought a psychedelic vest like Hendrix. I learned how to play the guitar like Jimi Hendrix behind my neck so I could play behind my neck. And then he'd pick it up with his teeth and he'd play. So I would have to do that also. So I grew up kind of playing the Cream and Deep Purple and Iron Maiden and all these things. Uh, I, you act like you don't even know what I'm talking about. Like, oh, God, how could he be so secular in our church? Well, I'm sorry. That's what it was. That's the world. Was anybody in the world? How many, how, many, how many lived in the world a little while and God had to save you out of the world? Aren't you glad he did, amen? Aren't you glad he touched your life? Good. Okay, so here we are. I'm doing all of this and also football. So what happened, I started playing football because football is a god in Louisiana and in the south. And so my, my dad was totally into football. And as you can see, size-wise, I'm not the biggest guy in the world to play football, but that's what everybody did. But I was very scared. Uh, and so I was fast. I was very fast because I knew they were going to hurt me if they caught me. So I would outrun them. And so I played football. And what happened is um, I played all the way through high school. And the only way I could get, a, uh, get my college paid for, because my dad got laid off from one of the plants down in South Louisiana, is that I had to get a football scholarship. And so my senior year, I did what I could, end up getting a nickname called Boom Boom. They had a ship cannon that would shoot every time you made a touchdown. This is the story of this right here. It has pictures of football. has pictures of running for touchdowns. has a picture of some of the things called the transformation of Boom Boom Berto. This is, this is going to be one of the funniest things you've ever seen and heard in your life. But that's in the back. And so what happened is, as I'm coming out of high school, I was an All-American, and I had um, scholarship offers from all over the place. But then there was a guy that was on the cover of Sports Illustrated of that day named Terry Bradshaw. Terry Bradshaw was on the cover of the Sports Illustrated, the Blonde Bomber, number one draft choice of the Pittsburgh Steelers. And, uh, and he was on a cover there, and he was coming out of college, the number one draft choice to the Steelers that year, and he was on a cover of the Sports Illustrated. Well, of course, what the school did, they used him to start calling all the football players that were good players in the state. So I get a call two hours later after we got our Bible Sports Illustrated there, and I'm looking at it, not saved. No one in my family's ever been saved. And all of a sudden, this guy calls and says, hey, you're boom, boom here. I want you to come up to Louisiana Tech to play. So I'll go to Louisiana Tech, sign a four-year scholarship to go play there, and I meet this guy named Denny Duran. This guy, Denny Duran, is a Pentecostal priest. How many of you have been saved all your life? You know, you were brought up in a Christian home, raise your hand, and you've been saved all your life. It's kind of one of those things that, you know, like you never knew anything else. I mean, you were saved when you were five. Denny was saved when he was five years of age. What can God deliver a five-year-old of? I was hooked on a quart of Kool-Aid and a pack of M&Ms. What can God deliver a five-year-old of? Here I am, a Mardi Gras. I'm a Mardi Gras guy. And then here's this guy, and he comes up to me the first day, and he says to me, are you saved? I said, from what? <laughs> I never heard that before. He goes, are you a Christian? Come on, Catholics, you know what your answer was. I'm a Catholic. Although I wasn't going to church. 
He said, well, are you born again? I'm a Roman Catholic. I don't know what to say. <laughs> three years later, three years later, because he was so persistent and because I saw a real Christian, I didn't see somebody just, just waffling back and forth. I knelt down in my dormitory room on the rugs I took from the cafeteria, and I kneeled down on those rugs. I took them back after I saved. And so I knelt down, and I asked the Lord to come to my life. And I'm going to just tell you this. It was not some kind of a, uh, you know, I just prayed a prayer and nothing happened. I'm going to tell you something. I'm just telling you my story. I felt something lift off of me. It was 20-something years of living in a world and never knowing anything about God, and it lifted off of me. I was utterly, like Paul in the Bible, transformed. I was utterly transformed from that day to this day. Now, the reason I'm talking to you today is because Glenberto was not going to go to church. I was not going to come to your church. I don't care about your Easter meeting. I don't care about your extra services. I don't care about your Easter egg hunt. I don't care about your Christmas meeting. I don't care about your little home meetings. I don't care about any of that. Some of us in the world, that's the way our minds were. We don't care about it. There are tons of people right now that don't care. I'm here. Don't care you're here. Matter of fact, most of your family think you're weird. They think you're all messed up. What are you doing going to church all the time? What are you doing giving your money to the building there? Go gambling with us. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> Played a lottery with us. Oh, yeah, that's, that's good. Good idea. No, no, no. So what happened is, is here I am in this thing, and I, I'm in this, in this place, and, I, and my life is changed, and now I'm a new person. I, I mean, old things really did pass away. But I, I've never lost all these years, I've never lost the burden for those outside the walls here. Thank God you're here. We're talking about, I preached last week on aftershocks, the signs of the end times, because Newsweek magazine came along, came out with the apocalypse now kind of a thing, and says, what the blank is going on? So I held up Newsweek, I said, hey, if Newsweek don't know, I'll tell you what's going on. I said, let me tell you what Jesus says is going on. So I explained that to our church. So I'm talking about when Jesus is coming back, and... Uh, I'm saying most people never heard of his first return. They didn't know he even came. We're talking about a second coming. We don't know about his first coming. And so I'm saying I have a burden for your family members. I have a burden for those that are still lost. I have a burden for those that are not here right now that God has given us a promise that says that your house will be saved. Remember that scripture? He said he'll save my house. That prodigal in my family and that good friend of mine, I don't want to go to heaven without them. How many are with me on that? You don't want to go to heaven without those people. And so I want them to come. So I'm going to pull for them today. So I'm going to share something with you. And it's really tough, but I'm going to give you the answer of how you reach your city and how you reach your neighborhood and how you reach your family. Wouldn't that be some good news? So we're going to talk about that. The Bible says, the Bible says, that we're the lights of the world, so that should be easy. We're the salt of the earth, that should be easy. Why is it so hard to reach these people? Why is it so hard to reach lost people? Well, the Bible even says this. Look what it says about in 2 Corinthians 4. It says this. It says, Satan, the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. Show the next, next part of it. Show the next part. So they're unable even to see the glorious light of the good news. Well, well come on, Pastor Glenn. How, how are we supposed to reach people when Satan's blinded the minds? Does that make sense? What, what good is it? How are we the light... Listen, listen, it didn't say he blinded their hearts. He blinded their intellect. He didn't blind their feelings. The Holy Spirit speaks to what and he changes what? Somebody say heart. Yeah, he changes our hearts. This is what he does. Look what also it says here in the rest of the scripture. They don't even understand the message we preach. So, okay, so we're going to have churches and we're going to keep preaching messages. You know what? You can open campuses, 10 of them a week if you want to. But there's still, as you know, there are going to be a lot of people don't care to hear you preach. 
That's why we have churches that are empty all over. It's not preaching's our problem. We have a lot of preaching. So what is the secret to this? It's the title of my message. The church has left the building. You're going to have to leave the building. We've got to get out of the building. Turn to somebody and say this. Say, the church left the building. Turn to somebody else and say, the church has left the building. Back in old Elvis days, remember Elvis days? Some of you don't even remember Elvis. Yeah, he was the guy that used to sing. And so Elvis, 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 Elvis would finish his concert and nobody would leave. And they'd have to come out and say, Elvis has left the building. Go home. Okay. So in a few minutes, we're going to try to tell you, God has left the building. Go home. Now, you know what? This is really, we're not having church. You know that. Let me, let me explain mentality. The Bible says you need to have the mind of Christ, which means you've got to lose your mind. How many are ready to lose your mind? So the Bible talks about that you have to have the mind of Christ, you've got to do this. And he's saying for you and I that we have to now realize that we've got to leave the building. And do you understand us in the building right now, we're really not having real kind of church because you're using no power. In Acts 2, the upper room, they gave them power. But did they need this power in the upper room to do anything? The power was not used until they left the upper room. They had to get out of the upper room for the power to be used. Let me explain it this way. Uh, you, you drive your car. You're going to leave. You need some gas. You go to the gas station. You turn your power off. You get out. You put the nozzle in, and you start filling up your car with gas, what happens once you fill up, you get back in your car, turn the power on to leave because you need the power to get out of the gas station. You are at the gas station right now is all you are. You are here getting filled up. The only one that's working right now is me. You're just sitting there listening. But when you leave here, how many of you know, that's when your warfare starts. That's when the battles start. That's when all the temptations start. Right now, we're okay. So I don't need the power so much now, but I need it when I leave the building. It's time that we in the church realize that when we leave the building is a time that hell begins to become scared. Right now, it's okay. But when we start scattering with this power in our lives, boy, hell's caution lights begin flashing like, ooh, ooh, wake up, wake up. They're coming out of the building. They're scattering all over the place. All right? Are you ready to pray? I hadn't started yet. <laughs> Bow your heads. Let's pray. Lord, help in Jesus' name. Amen. I mean, even know that pretty much covered anything I could have said right there, help. <laughs> that covered any prayer I could have said. L- l- let, me, let me share this with you here. Uh, the, the idea that my church has that I've given to them is that the church service doesn't begin until you leave the building. Think about it. On each of our exits in our church, it says you're now entering the harvest field. When you walk out, you're seeing a sign that says you're entering the harvest field. This isn't a harvest field right here. It's out there. I want you to come reach me. I'm not happy. I act like I am. That's why I have to drink because I can't get high on my by myself, but I don't have anything to show me. So would you come tell me, would you help me and give me an understanding of what I need to do? Now, I'm going to tell you a secret on exactly what God says. God wants to deal with cities, amen? He wants to touch cities. But watch what he wants us to be. Now, I'm going to describe something I believe you already are, 
but I'm going to now highlight what you need to do and even stronger. We reach probably 10 to 11,000 people every year. Just about a month ago, in seven days, we saw 3,000 people get saved in our ministry. We reach souls, and in these, watch this, in the salvations are not normal people getting saved like us sitting right here. I will have gang rags by, by the hundreds, gang rags. I'll have the razor blades the little girls are cutting their arms with and slashing their legs with. And I've got the videos. I can show you videos and videos of girls that have cutting their arms. I'll get heroin needles that will be turned in because I've got a bag of trash that I tell them to throw their trash away. I get cigarettes. I get the skull chewing tobacco. I get heroin. I get satanic, occultic things. I get all of this. Folks, this is our world. You know what I'm saying? This is really not. You know, here we are here, and we, got it, we have it pretty good. But our world out there that Jesus died for is needing us. Would you agree with that? needs us. So we need to get out. Now, what do they need? I'm going to give you the secret because we don't even have an evangelism program. We have no evangelism program and we reach thousands of people all the time. So I'm going to tell you the secret of what we do. And let's just go directly to Ezekiel. Let me just read that for the people. Ezekiel, your fame soon spread. Boy, there's a lot of little things here, huh? Jingle bells. Okay, so here it is. There's fame. Soon just distracted me here. Your fame soon spread throughout the world because of your what? All right, say it again. So ugly people don't attract anybody. I don't mean physically ugly. Spiritually ugly. Your fame, you became, God is saying Israel. You became famous not because of the wars, not because of the cities you built. You became famous. Isn't it odd to hear that? So maybe in the book of Acts, what did they receive the power? The power to become beautiful. Because they were not real attractive before the Spirit of God came upon them. Look at the rest of the scripture here. Your fame soon spread throughout the world because of your beauty. I dressed you in my splendor and perfected your, say the word. Huh. It wasn't your church. It wasn't your nice worship. It wasn't your great preacher. It wasn't your wonderful people. It wasn't your leaders. It was your beauty. Your attitude. Your spirit. Your unconditional love. Caring for people. Accepting everyone. Realizing people are hurting. They don't look like me. They don't act like me. But they need to find somebody that's going to accept them. In San Francisco, in the Tenderloin, they call it the Tenderloin District, is the gay district down there. Out of all things, what a name, huh? Tenderloin District down there. I know the man who has the outreach down there, and he says this to me about the homosexual community. He said, the reason they don't go into the church is this. He said, they know that they're going to be criticized. He said, they know they're going to be talked about. He said, they know they're going to be made fun of. He said, you know what? They don't feel accepted, but they are accepted among themselves. They would come out but they don't feel acceptance from the church. They feel like the church is going to put them down. That tells me there's something ugly about us because I don't think Jesus would do that. I don't think he would do that. So there's got to be something beautiful about us. God is not going to take a healthy baby and put him in a sick incubator. He's not going to take somebody healthy and put him in an ugly place where there's gossip and not acceptance and not no love. So let's just say two, two, two men or two women. Well, here, here in my church, here it is, my church, I have people at the altar all the time, get saved. Here it is. Here's California. Celebrate. Pastor, celebrate. Everybody celebrate. God just saved you. I have two women start kissing. 
at the altar. All right? So what do you do? They're apparently lesbians, and they don't know. They're celebrating like they used to celebrate. So they're just coming out. So do we go and correct them? Yeah, we're going to go talk to them. But do I get mad at them? Do you get mad at a baby? When your baby cries, do you spank your baby and get upset with your baby? No. They're going to have a smelly diaper. Do you get mad every time they, they fill up a diaper? No. You put up with that because they're a baby. And so we go and help them. We talk to them. We do this, and we love them. I had two stand with me just last week, Pastor, at our prayer meeting. And in the prayer meeting, two girls and a mom is standing there, says to me, Pastor, what do you think? We have some friends that are lesbians, and they feel like God is not wanting them. Somebody told them they can't come to your prayer meeting on Monday night uh, because they're lesbians, and God won't hear their prayers and trying to get my opinion on this. And then the Lord tells me that the two lesbians are standing right there in front of me trying to tell me it's somebody else and wanted me to say something. I said, let me just tell you this. You tell them that they are welcome here, and you tell them to come here, and you tell them that I love them, and tell them that I'll help them, and tell them that I'll help them and share with them what the Word says, but I'm going to tell them the truth and love them. Do you understand that? And she goes, well, thank you, Pastor, for being acceptable and accepting because the two lesbians are us. And so here they are, they feel welcome to come to my church. What I'm saying, folks, if we're to win the world, are you with me here? If we're to win the world, what that means is if two people walk in like this, just scoot over and let them sit down and shake their hands, hug their neck, and welcome them because there's got to be beauty that they see. Some little girl that walked in from Saturday night here that's been walking the streets of Minnesota and been walking Minneapolis and walking the streets of this, of this city, and you know what comes in with the high heel, platform shoes, little black mini skirt, little white halter top with nothing on underneath it and presses down the aisle here. We know she's a prostitute. We know that she's walking the street. We know she's a night walker. We know that she's doing things that she shouldn't do. But how many of us in the church would go ahead and accept that little girl and realize maybe her stepdad raped her all of her life? Maybe she got a crack mama and some of you ladies just get up and say, baby, come sit by me. Here's my coat. Here's some money. I'll take care of you. That's the beauty of the church of Jesus Christ. When Lazarus, Lazarus come forth, when Lazarus come forth, he didn't have a tie on when he came out. He has his grave clothes. He still looked like death, but he's coming out. He's coming out. Give him a break. He's been in death. He's been in a, he's been in a hole. He's been in the ground. He's been in the filth for so long. Give them a break. We've got to accept those people. That's what the beauty is all about. Right, right, right? Okay, what does the Bible call us? The bride of Christ. Are we not the bride of Christ? Why are we not called the groom of Christ? Grooms are ugly. Amen. Yeah, yeah, they're ugly people. How many of you know a wedding is all about? It's about the bride. It really is. Do we have any, is anybody here engaged? Who's engaged here? You're engaged? Uh, is, both of y'all, come here. Come here, both of you. I had one lady clap for him. Yeah, woo. Yeah. Yeah, one, one lady. No, that's good. Yeah. Most of you are saying, oh, Lord. Well, after he says I do, he's going to start saying I'm done. All right, here we go. Well I, well, I have some. I just wanted to give you something here. Are you engaged? 
how do I know you're engaged? <laughs> did, did I, I didn't ask to see your ring, though, but why'd you hold it up? You're very nice. Look, this, this is something my wife and did called Lord of the Ring, and it's Lord of the Ring. And I want to give you that, and I want you to give them a hand because I'm going to talk about something in a minute here. Give them a hand. God bless you. Good. Congratulations. All right. All right, are you ready for this now? Here we go. You want to have fun? See, I, I, I was raised Catholic, so I didn't have any fun in church. <laughs> I went to Our Lady of Great Agony. Okay, here we go. So, you know what I'm saying? So now here you go. You know, so us Catholics, we get into this, and we, hey, we get the clap now. We get the laugh now. We get the kind of amen. Well, this is different for us. See, I tell there's not a lot of Catholics in. <laughs> bride of Christ. Somebody say bride of Christ. Okay. Okay, let me help you out. A man going to get engaged. Here's a couple here. And a man kind of thinks of all these weird ways they're going to present the ring, right? We're going to present the ring. So we, we come up with some, something goofy, and we kind of think of something that's going to be kind of, you know, so for. And then we sit basically are doing this with engagement. Honey, I just want to tell you, I want to marry you. Here's engagement ring. I want to marry you, but just not yet. You know, I, <laughs> Let's take about six months, eight months, and we'll think about this. Okay, so you give him the ring. Now, the groom, the guy, come on, guys, you with me now. The guys, we don't even tell anybody. Our friends find out on Facebook that we're engaged. They don't even know. They don't even know. But the girl, the bride, the next day, boy, she is out there doing just what she did right here. How do you know? <laughs> I mean, she is flipping out, and all the girls are, he did it. He gave you, oh, it's so beautiful. It's so great. It's so wonderful. Oh, what are you going to wear? What kind of dress? Well, I, you know, I got to lose some weight. I got to get kind of skinny. I got to lose weight. I got I to fit in a dress. Got to do, ooh, we got to pick out baby names. We got to, oh, you're picking out baby names. The groom hadn't even told anybody anything. The bride is totally different. She's looking at how she can look more beautiful. Huh. You think that might be something in the church we need to start thinking about? How can we become more beautiful? How can we become more beautiful? Because that's really what it's all about. Can I take you like on a wedding here? Which you do. I've done a lot of weddings. You go into the go into the room over here and where the bridesmaids are, is there is so much excitement. You go in there and they're just, all the girls are just making over. Oh, you look so beautiful in that dress. You're just, I tell you what, that thing just fits you so good. And you look beautiful. Does it really, does it really kind of, does it make me look good? No, you look good. <laughs> you look great. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. You go over here in the groom's room and no one's even talking. Hey, Ralph, you got about 10 minutes. We can get out of here if you want to, you know. <laughs> it's a different feel. All of a sudden, the groom, well, the, you know, as groom, we, we don't do anything before a wedding. All we've got to do is go rent some tux and we go find the thing we wore at the prom, that old blue thing with ruffles. We go find something to wear. That's all we've got to do is just find a tux to get ready for the wedding. But not the bride. There's a preparation time to become beautiful. God wants his church beautiful. So all of a sudden the groom 
They walk in. Nobody even cares. <laughs> Nobody cares. They walk in like this, like, hey, what do you think of this? And everybody's like, phew, who's at the back door? We're going to watch who's coming in. All of a sudden, done, done, da done. Everybody stands up, right? They stand up. And all you ladies are like, you want to see the dress. You're all into the dress and how pretty she looks. Men, we don't care. We just, are, we just shocked that you spent so money on, much money on something that you're not going to wear again. We don't get it. Why don't you rent a dress like we rent tuxes? But no, you did everything to be the most beautiful you can. You even made yourself so beautiful, it's almost like I'm going to buy one dress, we're going to take a bunch of pictures, because I'm never going to look this good again. You better get a shot of me. Get a lot of pictures. This is it. I'm going to look the best I am today. Okay, so done, done, done. Come down. Everybody's looking. And boy, are we all in. Yeah, people that are crying. They're not even getting married. They're just watching it. <laughs> I'm standing there. And they do these gooey, I've never met anybody like you in my heart, soulmates. We're soulmates, and I just love you. Uh, yeah, ditto. And the guy doesn't know what to say. <laughs> yeah, same thing. Back to you, baby. Oh, and they got, we even have the unity candle. Now, that's going to help the marriage. Uh, yeah. <laughs> We're going to light a candle. And <sighs> the two become one. Question is, is which one are they going to become? You know, which one? <laughs> yeah, see, this is church. These people are missing it. I'm telling you, when they don't come, they're missing out church. So what happens, you stand there, and as you're going through the ceremony, you get to get, I now pronounce you Mr. and Mrs. Johnson. And then you turn around, and I almost feel like being a pastor, knowing what marriage is, I feel like I should let a mic come down from the ceiling and say, and let's get ready to rumble. <laughs> Have a good time. I'll see you in a month for counseling. God bless you. <laughs> That's the bride. The bride. It's all about beauty. It's all about beauty. But see, God says, you know what? The church is about beauty. I know sometimes we can start working and we can do things, but you know what? If we're ugly, we're not going to be attractive. We've got to have that beauty in us because why? The world is attracted to beauty. I'm in the airport. What? Go, go to any, any newsstand. Go anywhere. You know this. I'm not even telling you anything you don't know. Look at the magazines. Beautiful. On the cover. Cover magazines. Beautiful, beautiful. People. people. They, they don't have an ugly people magazine. Here's goofy people magazine. Here's Dummy People magazine. No, no, no. Just beautiful people, right? Right? You have the house magazines. What is it? Do, do, are they showing little, little, little crack houses? No, no, no. Mansions. Things that we'll never, you know what I'm saying? We look at it like, wow. Then we go over here to the jewelry. Beautiful rings, beautiful watches, uh, cars. Oh, look at that car restored. That's beautiful. beautiful. Everything's in a beauty. We have what? Beauty pageants. And we now vote on not only Who's beautiful? But who's the most beautiful? Forget about that you look good. We want to find who looks better than the best-looking one. And you just, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Do we ever see an ugly pageant? Is, is Trump going to do an ugly pageant? No ugly pageants. You're not going to see an ugly pageant. Why? 
because the world is in it. Watch, why, why? So God says this. God says this. Look how simple this is. Hey, church, uh, the world is into beauty. Oh, they're not? The world is into nice, good-looking things, beauty. Uh, how about you become beautiful, and if you do, you will start attracting the people out in the world. So it's not so much good preaching as it said, the message is not going to be heard. You're not going to go ahead and intellectually convince them they need to get saved. But you will win them by that unconditional love and that acceptance. Oh, they're weird as can be. They're not looking like us. I'm talking about those with black fingernails, spiked hair, piercings. Jesus died for them as much as us. And if you want to reach this city, guess what? They're going to be sitting here with us. Do you understand what I'm saying? All right. So, do you not have a lot in common with unsaved people? Sure you do. Sure you do. They go shopping. You go shopping. Um, They have kids. You have kids. They go to school. You go to school. Um, They pay utilities. and you, you You pay utilities. Uh, they have issues they deal with, mortgages. You have that. You, have, you know what? You have a lot in common. Jesus, the Bible says, was a friend of notorious sinners. They didn't affect him, but he was a friend. He had something in common. There's something beautiful about Christ that he's trying to get to us in the church. That's why he's calling us a bride. You have a lot in common. How many like to fish? Anybody like to fish here? Raise your hand. You know, unsaved people like to fish. You don't have to get out there and kind of preach Jesus the whole time. Why don't you just talk about fishing? Just, just accept them. Just be nice. You know what? They want to go see antiques? Get your wife to go. Yeah, amen. <laughs> I mean, you, you, can even, you can even today on these social networks. Come on. How many social networks are they going to keep coming out with? I mean, I, 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 you know, us, some of us older, we're not, I can't ha- help us with this. I mean, you know, your kids have to, here, my son is here. My son's here. Thank you. know, I never see him. He's in another city right now, but I had him come up. And he's, Dad, you know about YouTube? What's, what's a YouTube? I don't know what, what's YouTube? Oh, you got to get on YouTube because we got our videos from Worth Dying For. He's in a band. They travel all over the country, and I can see their videos. Well, I want to see that. He said, well, what about Twitter? What's a Twitter? Oh, you got to get Twitter. Let me set you up your Twitter account. So you want to, I'm on a Twitter now. And he goes, okay, I got YouTube and, and Twitter. Well, what about Facebook? What's a Facebook? Well, no, you got to get a Facebook. we got to make you a page of Facebook so you can communicate with the world because you can't talk, so you're going to have to do it by the keyboard. <laughs> so I'm saying, well, how many of these do they have? I'm tired of the social networks. I'm going to make one social network, put them all together, and I'm going to call it you twit face. <laughs> yeah, that settled it. Yeah. Find me on you twit face. <laughs> so how do you reach somebody? Well, you know what Jesus did? Was the, was, the, was the woman at the well a church member? No. No, no. Was the uh, Roman centurion church, church member? No. No. Was the demoniac from Gadara a church member? Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> no, no, it wasn't. Uh, go, go through the scripture and you'll find Jesus, do, do, he didn't do one miracle inside the church. Everything he did was talking to people outside. 
woman with the issue of blood wasn't a church member, healed her. What I'm saying is the church needs to leave the building. Us being beautiful to one another, hey, brother, how you doing? Hug, everything's wonderful. Then you get caught and scream at your family. That's not what we're talking about. No, no, no. We can be all friendly right here. Can you be this way to those that are not real lovable? That's where the beauty of the church comes in. That's what we got to do. Give an example. A little girl comes up to me. Are you ready? For, can I give you a couple examples? We don't have anything to do. Come on. It's, it's, uh, so here we are. A uh, little girl comes up, friend of my daughter, 12 years of age, a couple years ago, years ago. It's one of those things, Pastor, where I have the wife and the two children in my church, but the, but the, but the dad is, is a sinner. I mean, he's just in the world. He was an old football player. He played two years ahead of me. It's kind of like I knew him, but we were not friends because we we're two years apart. He signs a football scholarship, same school I did, but he quit by the time I got there. So I knew who he was. His name is Ed. His wife and his children are in my church. His little girl, 12 years old, he's in the world, never been saved in his life. Little girls at the altar said, Pastor Glenn, you know my dad. Could you reach him? We want him to come to church and want him to go to heaven. Would you please help us because he won't come? Well, I'm seeing this poor little girl, 12, crying for her dad. And what do you do? So I said, uh, Paige, I said, Wish, uh, to give me your dad's number. She gives me her dad's number. I haven't talked to him really personally at all. He knows who I am. You know, we know each other, but not for real friends. And I said, uh, what does he like to do? Maybe I, what's his hobby? Watch this. What's his hobby? He goes, he likes to play tennis. Tennis. I play everything except tennis. You know, he goes. He plays tennis and he belongs to the country club and he plays every day. Does he do anything else? No. Great. Okay. So I'm finding. I'm finding. What is his interest? His only interest is tennis. So I'm going to have to meet him at his interest. So I call him up. Hey Ed, it's Glenn Berto. Hey Glenn, how you doing? My kids are all at your church there. Where you been? What are you doing? And he's just kind of a rough, gravel guy that you never see in church. I said, hey, I understand you like to play tennis. Oh, I play tennis every day. Play at the country club. I said, I want to play you. He said, you play tennis? I, I, watch, uh, some, I watched it on TV one time. <laughs> you don't play? I said, yeah, I play. And I'll, I'll, when you want to play? He said, how about Friday at noon? I said, I'll be there. Bring an extra racket. Now, you know, I, I, I'm, I consider myself pretty coordinated in a sense, and I, I, play, I play racquetball, but, you know, I've never played, gotten into tennis at all, never played tennis, but I am now, as we're trying to reach somebody in the world, I'm trying to do this, so this is the only meeting I could have with him. He wasn't going to come to our church. He's not going to one of our campus churches, so I have to meet him on his turf. Now, hear what I just said. Quit asking them to come. Meet them where they're at. Find out their interests. I'm there. He comes out with his little white shoes, white socks. He's got these little pants, white pants, little white top, little white headband. I got flip-flops on, cutoffs, and a T-shirt. Oh, he's got the whole thing down. He knows everybody at the club. Hey, how you doing? How you doing, Bill? Good to see you, Tom. Good to see you. You know, I'm, just, I'm walking out. He goes, okay, man, uh, let's play here. This won't last long. And he starts trash-talking me. I'm going to tell you this. It was like your pastor's anger started welling up inside me. 
It was old anger. It wasn't the new anger. It's an old anger. <laughs> so what happened is, you know, somebody just starts, you know, if you've been an athlete, you know, you've been an athlete, and somebody just, it doesn't matter if you play it or not, and they just, hey, get ready to get a beating. You're going to get a beating. You know, I'm going to be a beating. You know? And I don't play tennis. He's, you know, he's playing every day. Hey, get over there. Get ready. You're probably not going to win a game. You want us to come. Get ready to get trounced. So I said, Ed, come here. Get to the, come here to the net. Get to the net. Okay, look. You and me, we're going to have a bet on this thing. Now, unless God tells you, don't bet. But here's the bet. The bet is, okay, Ed, we're going to play six games. Six games. Whoever wins the most out of six games, here's the deal. If you lose, you're going to come two days from now, Sunday morning, and you're going to sit on the front row of my church on the front pew. Do you understand? He starts laughing in my face out loud. And he said, yeah, but what about when you lose? I'll get you a steak dinner. He goes, fine. Can't wait to eat that steak. And he turns around. Yeah, to you, too. <laughs> I turned around and started speaking in tongues all the way back. Like, oh, Lord Jesus. You know, look, one day you touch David's arm. You might be able to touch my arm. He hit a giant. Maybe I can do this. Lord, if you want him to come to church, you're just going to have to anoint me. You're just going to have to touch me. <laughs> And I'm going to tell you, church, i got to be honest with you. It was just one of those days where you see one day something happened. It was just one of those days. And all of a sudden, he hits the ball, and I'm just having a flashback to Jimmy Connors or something. I'm like, bam. <laughs> bam. <laughs> bam. <laughs> bam. <laughs> wow. I'm like. 15, love, 30, love, 40, love, you know, love was involved in this loss that he had. At the end of the match, I beat him six games to nothing. He comes to the church. He gets saved on that Sunday. He was so humiliated. He said, yeah. Yeah. I don't need to play you again either. I never played him again because I didn't think I'd ever win. <laughs> he comes to church, gets saved. Two years later, he's on, on my board. On my board. He's a board member. Still safe today. Little Robbie. We got a little time here? No, we're out of time, huh? How much time do we have? How many, how many of you give me 10 minutes? 10, just 10 minutes, yeah. 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90. Oh, I got a long time. Okay, thank you for each of you giving me 10 minutes. I, I don't get here often. Let's talk. Little, little boy Robbie, 16-year-old brat, a brat. His daddy's a stepdad, treats him bad. Here's the story. Robbie there comes into my office, and I have a guitar. Played the guitar. Like I said, I had an acoustic guitar in my office sitting over there. Little Robbie, 16 years old, he's been beaten by a stepdad. It's one of those type things. Dad is an alcoholic, so forth. Bad situation. Robbie is a mess. A mess. Angry, upset, doing drugs, hates everybody. His mama forces him to come in. Come on, all the youth pastors know we've all been through this. And, and, and he comes in the room. I try to talk to Robbie. I cannot reach him. Okay, we're talking about how do we reach somebody in the world here. 
I'm trying to reach him. Nothing works for 30 minutes. All of a sudden, he's looking over. I see him looking over at my guitar over here in the corner. And so I say to him, after 30 minutes trying to witness to him, I say, hey, Robbie, uh, you like to play the guitar? Uh, yeah, yeah. I said, you play? Uh, taking lessons. I said, well, good. Here, here, buddy. Here, play me something on there. And he starts kind of bling, bling. He was terrible. He was absolutely horrible. So I grabbed the guitar and just played a little bit. Oh, he wept. It was so good. And, and so I... <laughs> And so he, I said, you know what, Robbie, I want to do? I said, Robbie, what I want to do, I'm going to teach you how to play the guitar. Every week I want you to come, and all we're going to do is I'm going to teach you how to play the guitar. I said, would you do that? Yeah, yeah. All of a sudden he brightens up. Comes in the next week, get him a guitar. I said, okay, here's how you make your chords. Here's how you strum. Okay, I'll see you next week. Never talked about God. Came in next week, taught him again. All of a sudden, third week, he didn't show up. All of a sudden, they get a call from his mom. It's an emergency call. I said, Pastor Glenn, Something's happened to Robbie. I said, what happened to Robbie? He said, he ran away. He's in Alabama. He ran away. His dad beat him again. And he said, he's on, he was on a street in Alabama. And he said he got beat up and he said he could die tonight. I said, Robbie got beat up and he could die? He goes, yes. He said, I'm in a hospital with him right now. And there's only one person he wants to talk to. And it's you. I've had three meetings with the boy. Two times just teaching and to play the guitar and not talking about God at all. Hey, Robbie. And he says for the first time, hey, Pastor Glenn. I said, Robbie, how you doing, buddy? I don't know. Not good. I said, you're going to make it. I said, Robbie, you ready to give your life to the Lord? He said, I am. I said, why are you calling me? He said, you're the only one in 16 years that cared for me. You're the only one that took some time and made me feel. I just taught him two, just two times, just the guitar. And he's telling me at 16, I'm the, only, I'm the closest person to him. Folks, this is the world. They don't have what you and I have here. You understand? They're hurting. They're lonely. And I end up leading Robbie to the Lord. I said, Robbie, God's going to heal you. God heals him. That boy ends up coming back to the group, ends up growing up, and does something great for God. It's amazing how you and I can reach people. Being the only one in my family, I'll close with this. Being the only one in my family, write names down on your sheets because you've got somebody here that definitely believes. As you've got people that can believe for healings and things like this, I believe that too. But I have a strong anointing in seeing lost people get saved. I see it all the time, every place. And I'm believing with you here because I know this is one of the most precious things to us is our family. And I won't believe that. Let me tell you about my grandmother. My grandmother, Cajun grandmother from New Orleans, Momo Leger. Momo Leger. Momo Leger, no, no Cajun grandma could be over five feet tall. Most of them are really, she was four foot 11 right here. And she was uh, four foot 11 this way. <laughs> Looked like SpongeBob's mom. She had that thing under her arm that would hang, and we would kind of hit it and make it, make it kind of <laughs> flap, flap like it. She, she was sleeping. She didn't know we were doing that. And Momo Leger was one of those type people like your grandmother. She was like a feather pillow. You know, she was, just, she was just so soft, you know. I mean, she'd hug you, and you'd disappear in her flesh and couldn't breathe. Momo, let me out. I can't breathe. And she, okay, I'll let go. <laughs> this was right after I was saved. I am the one in the family now that's weird. I'm a Christian. I'm the only one in my family that's saved. I'm a Christian. I'm not drinking, not cursing. All that stuff stopped immediately to this day. Nothing. Now I'm ostracized from my family. 
Now I'm weird. I'm the weirdo. I don't do anything that, that I used to do. So what happens, my grandmother has cancer, is dying in a hospital in New Orleans. And she's dying. I may not see her again, so I go to visit her. I walk, I go in the room. None of my family's there. None of them are saved, none, but none of them are there. And she goes, oh, little Glenn, how you doing, little Glenn? You come to see your grandmother? I just said, Mama, I want to see you. You don't have to come see me. I said, Mama, I want to come see you. I said, I'm going to pray for you. Oh, if you want to pray, you pray for me. Whatever you want to do, that's fine. She doesn't know that she's dying, though. She doesn't know how bad it is. I said, Mama, I'm going to pray with you. I pray with her. She said, oh, thank you for coming, Chad. It's so sweet of you. Come to my room. I leave. Two days later, doctors call my mom. Uh, Miss Berto, I don't know what's happened, but your mother is sitting up in bed right now. And preliminary tests are that she does not have any cancer in her body. We don't know what happened. All of a sudden, all my uncles and aunts and relatives, they all run in there. And they're like, oh, what a hospital this is. The doctors in this place, I told you that they were great. They are really great. Nobody's saved. My grandmother's not saved. My grandmother says, everybody shut up. That's not what happened. Little Glenn came to my hospital room here two days ago, and he prayed to this man named Jesus. And when he said that name, Jesus, I don't know what happened, but I felt something lift out of my body. And all I know is that Glenn came and prayed for me. Wow. I went from weirdo to healer in one day in my family. I was a healer. Now, today, I want to see, and I know you do too, you want to see your family. You want to see your family saved. I want everybody to stand with their sheets of paper. And we're going to do something here. You know what we're going to do? We're going to take, hey, this will be worth it, folks. How many believe that our family members that are lost and some of our friends, this is worth taking five minutes to do this. I need, I need some of the pastors to come up and maybe collect some of these but what I want you to do, we're going to set up a cross. And we're going to put a cross here. And this church, for the last couple meetings in all the, all the campus churches, I have built crosses in all the campus churches that you have. And they have the same thing. These are from the last few meetings that we've had here. I want all of you to come as we begin to do some music, and then we're going to pray. I want you to come bring your sheets of paper down here with all your names and we're going to put them on the cross and I want you coming, calling their name and saying, God, it's time for them to come. It's time for them to meet Jesus. Come on, come out of your seat. Bring your red sheets of paper down so we can put them on the cross. Come on, everybody, 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 everybody. Take my life I lay it down At the cross where I am found, all I have I give to you, O God. Take my hands and make them clean. Keep my heart in purity. Come praying, 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 praying for them. Come on, I want you to intercede right now. Let's intercede. They've got to come back. The prodigals have to come home. Come on, call out. Resurrect that hope again. Come on, start believing it's going to happen. God said he'll give you your house. He'll give you a house. Give you a house. Come on, come on, come on. Come, 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 come. Come on, come, come. 
you imagine how many thousands of people are represented on this cross how many people are going to get saved how many people we're going to see come to Christ Why don't you just pick them up and just put them down by the base of the cross. Just pick them up and put them down. One of those of you, if you're there, just pass. Come down and hand them in. Yeah. Some of you here in this aisle here, let's get these down in this aisle. Let, let me share this with them, guys. You can play right in the background. Listen while they're coming. Listen. The reason I'm telling you this, listen to this story right here real quick as you're coming. 35 years, my mom and dad were not saved. I travel the whole world, give altar calls all over the place, and the devil would tell me, you don't even have your mom and dad saved. See, nobody in my family is saved. I've, I've been a preacher and traveled, got churches and whatever. My parents are not saved. It took, it took 14 years for my sister to get saved. I only had one sister, and two years later, she died of ovarian cancer. And because of that, my parents basically just got mad and disowned me and my family because God didn't heal your sister like you said God can heal you can understand when you lose some family member I'm just saying that because there's somebody here that might can relate to that that I lost my sister but you know what I have the promise I'm gonna see her again and have a reunion you know so I, I that's what heaven's about heaven's sweeter I'm gonna see her again two years ago I'm at the kitchen table 35 years I've been saved I've been all over all my family saved my children are saved all, I got uh, two son-in-laws and, and three kids. They're all in the ministry. My mother and father are not in heaven. They're not going to heaven. They would turn it down for 35 years, but God gave me a promise. My wife told me, she says, Glenn, God's keeping them alive because God hadn't answered your prayer, and He wants to answer your prayer before they die. And that's exactly what took place two years ago at 82 and 80 years of age. At the kitchen table, I prayed for them. And they finally, finally got saved. At 84 and 82, they are members of Dino Rizzo's church in Baton Rouge. At 84 and 82 years old. What a miracle. So what I'm telling you is that, you know what, there's hope for you. There's hope. There's hope. Micah, won't you come here? Micah, come here. Grab the microphone. I want you to pray. Can I use this mic? doing a great job. Micah, come in here. Use that mic right there. I'm going to have my son pray. And uh, I want you to lift your hands. How many of you have family members that are not saved? Family, family like relatives. Can, can we agree together? Because this is my hope for you. Hey, listen, listen. You have a great church. You really, you have great pastors. We can build a church a week, let's just say. But there's still that thing nagging us, isn't it? This is, this is nagging us. This is something that's precious to me. I'm so proud of my pastor in the church. I'm so proud of where I'm at. But God, there's still this big thing here. There's, there's, there's my family. People that I love. I don't want to spend eternity without them. And I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to say there's no use. I'm not... They're going to get saved. I don't know how I don't know I win. But God promised me. He's going to give me my house. I want you to lift your hands. 
Like, I want you to pray for these. Pray for souls. Pray for these people now. Yeah. Come on, let's all pray together. Jesus, we lift up every name on this cross, God. God, you see the family member. You see the friend. You see the coworker, God. God, I pray you begin to use us, begin to speak through us, Father, to reach out and be the light, God. God, give us a burden. God, give us a passion. God, to walk out a life of love. God, let us reach out with everything inside of us, God. Let you be shown through us. Let the beauty of who you are, God, overtake us. God, to love everybody outside of this building, God. Pull them back to you, God. God, give us the passion and the burden just to walk down the street, God, and love on those we don't know, God, and to pray for those, God, and to reach out, God. God, we thank you for what's going to happen. We thank you for every salvation, God. Though we don't understand how it's going to happen, but we thank you for our family members, God. We thank you for our dads and our moms coming back to you, God. God, we thank you. Come on, let's begin to thank them like it's already happened. Thank them like we're already breaking through. God, thank you for what you're going to do. Thank you for every salvation. God, for every freedom, every bondage you're going to break, God. We thank you, God. You're mighty, Lord. You're awesome, God. Wait, wait. One more thing. Bow your heads right now. I'm going to pray real quick. I'm going to pray for you. All over the building. Bow your heads, bow your heads, bow your heads. All over the building. Every aisle here. I'm not leaving until I know for sure you're going to heaven with me. You're a good person. You know why you're a good person? You're sitting in church here on a Sunday. There's nothing. You're not a horrible person. But there may be a question in your mind if you're going to make it. I want to make sure you make simple. Then say, hey, it's really a smart thing to do. So all over the building, I'm going to pray the prayer. And you just raise your hand and say, Pastor, I'm going to join with you in the prayer. I want to do this. All of you want to make sure. You want to know for sure you're going to heaven. You know you need to say, Jesus, you've got to forgive me of these things. I want, to, I want you to forgive me because I want to be sure. All over the building right now, lift your hands high. Go, go, go. Lift your hands high. Say, I'm going to pray this prayer. I'm going to pray this prayer. I'm going to pray this prayer. All over. In every aisle, every, every section, there are people's hands. You know what? You know what? This tells me how strong this church is because you're honest. This tells me how healthy you are because you say, if there's something wrong, I want to make it right. That's very, very healthy. Everybody, let's pray. Leave your hands raised. Let's pray it together. Say, Lord Jesus, today is the day I repent of all my sins. Come into my life. Turn me around. Forgive me of all transgression, all rebellion, all pride. I forgive those that have hurt me. And I accept you as my Lord and as my Savior in Jesus' name. Now, can you praise the Lord? Because the church is getting ready to leave the building. Come on, praise the Lord.